Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. It is the last episode of January that we're recording today. We're going to be reviewing Amazing Adventures number 15 in the latter half of the show, where Beast fights a villain that no one from X-Men history remembers. His name is the Griffin. He's ridiculous. It's going to be a delight to talk to some new friends about him today. Uh, I had the esteemed privilege of going to the Uncanny Experience last year, where there were many fantastic and incredible, breathtaking cosplayers. Uh, three of those cosplayers are here on this episode with me today. Uh, returning is my my uh, friend Andre Mason, who most recently showed up on my show as Bishop at a script reading. <laughs> He's the best Bishop cosplayer, uh, as well as Cree Michelle, who I met as Storm, and uh, Roger Pressa, who I met as first Juggernaut, and then a Mega Red, and you guys all took my breath away. I'm really excited to have you all here. Let yeah. me have you each introduce yourselves. I'll have you use your, your names and pronouns. Let us know a little bit about yourself. And uh, our intro question for today is, what is your favorite ridiculous mythical creature, if you like those sorts of things? Uh, let's begin with my friend, Andre. Hi, Andre. Hello. All right. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm an irregular on this show. So uh pretty much uh hi guys, my name is Andre Mason. Uh I am a super nerd cosplayer, uh Renaissance man, all that rep and one. Um I mean there's not much more you can say about me at this point. Um I think for the most part, uh you can call me he, she. Girl, whatever you want, I, I respond to. <laughs> um, and I think my favorite mythical creature, I mean, we had this conversation, you kind of cut it off at the at the nose because um, I have nothing but dragons tattooed on my body. Um, <laughs> considering the first dragon I got was the Mortal Kombat tattoo and the second one was Smog from The Hobbit. Um, so if I had another mythical creature, and because I'm an 80s kid, uh, I loved uh, Battle Cat from He-Man. Um, and, and the gay side of me like Swift Wind from She-Ra. So, yeah. Could you be any cuter? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are so precious. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Fantastic. <laughs> it's great to see you, Andre. Uh, let's go over to Cree Michelle next. Hi, Cree. Hi, I'm recovering. My heart was growing three times its size. <laughs> oh, <No>. Jesus. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Cree Michelle Pringle. I am a cosplayer. You guys will probably know me as Brown Sugar Outlaw. Um, I'm originally derivative of the Usual Rangers, which is a cosplay group that I started uh, years ago with some college buddies of mine because we all love Power Rangers. And we all just so happened to actually come together and bring a ranger with us. So we didn't have to fight over who was going to be who. <laughs> I will throw hands with the Yellow Ranger, as, you know. Uh, stated <laughs> anyway um been cosplaying for a while since i was a kid and it started off just stealing my sisters and my older my mother's uh clothing and putting together whatever i felt like putting together and then i found out oh you can you can copy what other people do let's do that yeah i want to be that character and that character and that character and it slowly developed into this thing where i started cosplaying characters that i loved as a kid and they all just so happened to be black women because it was very rare to find someone who stands alone like me. Like we all know Storm from the X-Men, even though there are several other 
Black female X-Men, we know Storm because she has notoriety. And that was the case with a lot of shows, comic books, TV shows, et cetera. So I started building my platform off of the idea of inclusion. I will represent my characters and I will do my best to make sure that other people who lack representation have the opportunity to stand forward and be like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I do. Um, I go by she, her pronouns and my favorite mythical creature it, I can't pick a favorite to save my life, so forgive me. Uh, it's a griffin, a unicorn, and a phoenix. Those are my three favorites. Ah, uh, phoenix being Jean Grey, uh, griffin phoenix. and unicorn both being uh, Marvel villains. <laughs> yes, right, right? Look at how well that works out. Uh, fantastic. Villains Great. are the best. <laughs> it's so good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and then over to Roger Pressa next. Hi, Roger. Hey, guys. I'm Roger Pressa. I'm best known for cosplaying giant huge ridiculously large costumes and um i've been doing it for probably 20 years or so costuming my first love has always been um halloween that's kind of how it started for me so i used to my biggest love was like horror and gore and all that shit but you know starting um i used to do like a lot of um haunted house designing and builds and that's where the love for costuming kind of came. And then got introduced to foam and, you know, working on different shapes. I was like, I wonder if this character can be made. So, you know, I'm going over different characters. I was always a big, huge Marvel fan. And anytime I saw uh, costumes at a convention, I would always see the certain type of costume, you know, like your, your Spider-Mans, your, your Batmans, but I never saw so many, you know, villains. So my passion was always to try to bring a villain out that you don't see because you know these these uh hero cosplayers they need a villain to fight you know <laughs> so you know so why not bring a villain out so the the first true villain of course was juggernaut that i brought out and but i was always a big hulk fan so i i started out doing hulk and progressed to a red hulk and then now a six foot nine hulk and then I'm going to start doing um, Maestro Hulk eventually. And yeah, this kind of me, just big and bold. Maestro Hulk. <laughs> That's Maestro just where Hulk I do my like, costume. Maestro Hulk is like Zaddy Hulk. <laughs> Z- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and what's your, uh, I'm he and them. Oh, and, and what's your favorite mythical creature, Roger? Favorite mythical creature, you know, I grew up watching Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans, so I have to say mine was a Minotaur and Cyclops. Fantastic. Cyclops yes. also being X-Men. But not the thing. Kraken, which was and, the big and, one. And the Kraken, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. of your choices. Sorry, that's it. <laughs> uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am the host of the show. I'm also a former Marvel Comics handbook writer and a documentarian. I um, uh, I read avidly growing up, and I loved mythical creatures. Really, truly, I was I was not an RPG kid so much. Like I didn't play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, but I definitely like read the handbooks. I I would like read the encyclopedias and constantly write stories. And I'm fascinated. We're going to talk about this in the show a little bit. I'm fascinated by like ancient humans need to like put a human head on a monster body or a monster head on a human body or have a human body grafted with eagle wings and lion paws or a serpent tail or like snake for hair. You know, like there's all these incredible mythical creatures. 
I remember being really obsessed with like the idea of Medusa the Gorgon as a kid. I was also really into uh, griffins and uh, chimeras and I, some of them I find a little creepy, like centaurs creep me out. Like I, I hate them. <laughs> Mermaids creep, creep me out a little bit. Uh, I loved like manticores and basilisks, like just, uh, and weirdly, I think everything I just said, they're all Marvel supervillains. And some of our favorite characters are named after mythical creatures, including Cyclops and Phoenix and Fenris. And like, there's a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of these creatures that we uh, idolize. Marvel's full of these like hidden races of mythical creatures as they exist because the Greek pantheon and the Norse pantheon literally exist in the Marvel universe. So these creatures come from everywhere. Uh, one time, Hulk's wife was turned into a harpy. Like there's a, <laughs> a bajillion of these stories across Marvel's history. I want to open our show today by talking about cosplay for a little while. Mm -hmm. I've had some cosplayers on the show before, but it's never been a focused topic. When I started collecting comics, I was a young teen in rural Idaho of all places. And I don't think I hit my first comic book convention until I was in my 20s. In my later 20s, I was doing the con circuit as a professional. I would have tables as a, as a Marvel writer and sell books and interact with people. And that was kind of my first uh, realization that I'm part of this vast community of people who share this nerd universe. Uh, if you listen to my various interviews with Michael Elliott on the show, we talk a lot about the sociology of fandom on various episodes. Uh, this idea that it's almost like a religious experience being able to commune with other people who share the things that you love, which is why we have things like the bronies and the Harry Potter schools, and, you know, all these different things where we can find spaces. It's why we get Battle Cat tattooed on our body, right? <laughs> because we these, these things from our childhood make sense. When I was working uh, at these tables, my initial idea of cosplay was a lot of people who would like have this is going to sound offensive and i uh, this is how i thought of it at the time but kind of lazy cosplay where you're just kind of putting on a suit and you know there's like 40 different kinds of deadpools walking around but mm -hmm. why, what i didn't realize that they felt like halloween costumes at the time but people are allowing themselves to indulge and to be kind of a freak among freaks and to just be themselves but there is a difference between uh, layman's cosplay and professional cosplay. And I remember going to Emerald City Comic Con in uh, the early 2000s and like a guy dressed as like Galactus walked around the corner and he had like a little silver surfer like flying around his head. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Uh, so there, there's there's times when cosplay stretches to a whole different level. So to kind of open today, and Cree, let me have you take this one first, if you would. What was your introduction to cosplay? And what were some of your very first looks that you put together? That's a very good question, because I had my first con experience around 14 or 15. My sister took me, and it was some random con. I don't even think the con exists anymore. It was back in, a, it was in Atlanta. And there actually wasn't that much cosplay at the con, but there were so many items and accessories and trinkets and stuff. And I remember being so excited to just get a t-shirt that had Inuyasha on it, just because it was like, oh my gosh, my first piece of actual nerd paraphernalia. And when it came down to actually cosplaying, that didn't happen until I met uh, one of my friends in, uh, uh, in, in high school who helped me make a Kiki's delivery service outfit because it was the simplest, you know, cosplay we could think of. Um, and it was before I had started exploring, like, you know, you can cosplay characters that look like you or cosplayers that, or characters that have like larger than life, you know, uh, armor and stuff. I didn't really know all of that then. 
And when you slowly get into cosplay by starting with like, you know, who you like and the characters you like, you end up meeting so many authentic nerds that it just feeds the beast in you that you didn't know was there. So now people are suggesting costumes to you. Now people are saying, I like this. Do you watch this? And I'm like, no, I would like to know all of this. So uh, after engorging on so much media, so many different shows, anime, especially, I started, uh, uh, of course, college and then met my group of friends. And we just kind of put our thoughts together and was like, you know what? Why don't we do this together? We can't seem to do it alone because, you know, timing and school and whatnot. So maybe if we pressure each other, we can get it done. From there, it was history. We just started pressuring each other to, I bet you won't make this. I bet you won't make this. And now it's just avalanched. <laughs> when Cree says feed the beast, she does not mean Henry McCoy. Never, ever feed Henry McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roger, how about you? What got me into cosplay? Yeah, yeah. What was uh, uh, what was your introduction to cosplay? And what were some of your early looks? Some of my early looks was actually Michael Myers. Like I said, I was always a you know I was a big Halloween fan, and that was like my favorite movie growing up was Halloween. So I wanted to be that slasher guy. I don't know. I just I have this villain mentality in me, and not that I am a villain, but you know it was just uh, something that was different, and I just loved doing that. But my first probably my first character was a Hulk. Um, basically, made a a latex bodysuit, and I had it for something else and then I just repainted it green and then uh, did a mask. And my first con actually was like, I wanna say it was like 2016 or 17 out here in San Jose. And it was Silicon Valley Comic-Con. So it was the first one that I'd actually ever been to. So I've always been into costuming, but never been to any conventions. So a friend of mine said, hey, why don't you try bringing that Hulk costume with you and see what happens. So I'm like, okay, why not? Give it a try. Not knowing anything really of, of cons. So I gave it a try. And as soon as I wore it, you know, I had a lot of people come up to me and say, that I've never seen a Hulk cosplay before. And, and that's where the term cosplay came in to me. So I was like, cosplay? A costume? Like, okay, I guess it's costume play. All right, I, I get it now. So that's kind of how it started for me. And then seeing that everybody liked the Hulk because it was so different, you just didn't see so many Hulk characters. Um, that's kind of where it gave me the idea of doing characters that you just don't see at conventions. You know, so like I said before, like I, I always saw a lot of Spider-Man and Batman and Superman, but you never saw any big, huge characters. So I try to make it my purpose to try to do a big character that I don't see. I always like to be different and try to do... Uh, characters that um, haven't been done or have been done sparingly. Um, so when I thought of what's a favorite villain of mine growing up that I haven't seen, and that was Juggernaut. And so I'm like, how can I do Juggernaut uh, but make it look like the, the 90s series or an action figure? So I took action figures and I took comics and I took um, artist renditions of the character and I said so he has to have big arms he's got to be big he's got to be larger than life I can't just use my you know puny arms and and just wear a helmet it just wouldn't look right so a lot of the costumes that I have are based on now action figures so I try to make the costumes that I do action figure like 
you know, so it has that twisting, rotating upper body and has like uh, um, feet that you can kind of articulate. And the, the premise of that was I'll be able to move a little bit better, but yet still be larger than life. So I have to make the costume also as big as possible that I could be comfortable in. Uh, let me let me pause you let me pause you briefly. I'm at the Uncanny Experience. I'm one of the like professors at the Xavier School or whatever, and I take a break in the green room and I come back and there's this massive Juggernaut torso just sitting on the ground. <laughs> you guys, when Roger puts Juggernaut on, it has to be like put on him. It's this massive, huge like suit of armor that he's wearing, stomping around that must weigh a hundred pounds. Uh, it's incredible. You took my breath, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, and that was the beauty of foam because foam is is so light. But when you make armors, you know it looks heavy, but yet it's still lightweight. I want to say that probably the upper body with the arms attached to it. The arms are uh, upholstery foam lined with silicone uh, to make it look fleshy. But probably that whole thing will probably weigh about a good twenty five pounds or so, and that thing rests on my head. But yes, I always have to have a handler with me because. One, my vision is limited. Like I, I'll have tunnel vision. No, I, I can't see the peripherals really good. Can't see below me. So neither can, run up, can. can the real juggernaut. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> no, I wanted to. I wanted him to be even bigger, but I had to think of like, okay, I need to actually walk in this one. So he's about six five or so, six five six six. I'm definitely not six five six six, but. Um, <laughs> At least um, he can be somewhat of that comic book look. And, and then a lot of my costumes ended up being that way, you know, just bigger. Um, Andre, let me have you take this one. Uh, uh, you and Cree uh, are both, well, Roger too, but you're both very conventionally attractive, really beautiful people who are very, who are wearing like skin tight spandex. <laughs> I would never have the body confidence to put something like that on. <laughs> Walking into the Uncanny Experience, oh. meeting you both as Storm and Bishop, you look real and authentic, but also the superheroes that we often emulate are in just like ridiculous, like 0.5% body fat kind of shape. <laughs> what's uh, what's it like to, well, where does this body confidence come from? And what would you say to people who are considering looks when they may not feel as fit as they could be to look like the characters from the comics? Oh, 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 okay. So there's a psychology behind it, honestly. So um, for me, I mean, <laughs> I'm in the gym daily, um, but I think what it is is that I'm, you know, I'm working out and I'm, I'm doing the fitness for me. And then the secondary goal is cosplay. And it's a weird kind of goal to have because you're like, I'm going to be in spandex at least 70% of the year. So I need to maintain a certain amount of body fat. I need to maintain a certain amount of muscle. And it can seem a little bit grueling. But then you think about all the people who go to fitness competitions and they have to stay a certain weight, uh, you know, weight class. And boxers have to stay a certain weight class. So it's like a constant uh, ability to kind of look at yourself and say, okay, I'm going to be in this spandex suit for several hours, not being able to eat, not being able to drink. Um, so there is a psychology around it um, that you have to be comfortable, number one. And then two, you wanna be as authentic as possible. And I think a lot of that has to do with body dysmorphia because I can't really think about it and not think about me looking weird 
when it comes down to picking a character, you notice that, again, a lot of superheroes are just in spandex and they'll have like a random belt, you know, some shoulder pads, whatever the case may be, and just accessorizing in that way. Um, I think it takes a special kind of uh, brain activity to be like, I'm going to slip myself into the spandex and feel comfortable enough because you're, you're kind of like in a vulnerable spot. Like literally the spandex is like second skin. And then like, you can see everything. Spandex is unforgiving. It shows you every curve, every nook, every cranny, everything. I, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't complaining. <laughs> uh, Creed, Creed, do you want to answer that as well? Yeah, I'd love to give some uh, uh, perspective because I think all cosplayers to some degree have that body dysmorphia. Um, I remember when I finished my Okoye costume, I was really proud of it. I loved how it looked and it got me very far in my career, but I remember seeing a picture of Denai in her uh, Okoye suit, and I realized just how much bigger I was than her. And of course, as an actress myself, I'm very aware of the body stereotypes and requirements that actors are put under to, you know, perform in any kind of any, honestly, genre, not just the superhero genre. So it was this weird realization. It was like a, um, it kind of took me out of myself for a second. And it made me look at my body the way that most people probably are. Whether people are doing it intentionally or not, when people see a person cosplaying a character they know or like, they are automatically going to compare them to the character. Yeah. I don't think people do this maliciously. It's you're dressed as a character that I recognize, so my brain's going to fill, fill in the details with that. And it's unfortunately going to see the differences. Um, what I tell people, especially when they're nervous about cosplaying for the first time or if they're like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with my body, I say, for one, buy your size. Don't mm -hmm. try to look smaller or be smaller That if that's not your body type, you know? Uh, work with what you have. Dress for your body. Dress for your comfort. Because let's, um, let's take the spider hams, for example, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, if someone does unfortunately have, you know, a rounder midsection or their thighs just so happen to be what's taking all the food like I do, um, I tend to tell people, hey, if you got to wear a utility belt, do you know, kind of give yourself that grace period, give yourself that grace. And also a, a lot of the characters that people cosplay have been around for like decades. So there are so many outfits to actually choose from with certain characters. So you don't have to always pick the skimpy skin type if you're not comfortable with skimpy skin type. You can find something that has a jacket on it. You can find something that, you know, fits you and what you want for your body better. I say if you want to go the workout route, more power to you. I love gummy bears. So I have to like... <laughs> Work back and forth with myself. Like, okay, you That's can't. Great. Me. Look, I'm, I'm eating them right now, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I do. You know, I'm a, I'm a therapist in my day job. We've had conversations about body acceptance and body positivity on the show. I think for all of us, we are our own worst critics. We're always worried about what other people will think. When I was in sixth grade, we learned a term in health class called the imaginary audience. This idea that everybody's looking at us all the time, you know. When you're comparing yourself to other people, it turns out to be a big self-esteem issue. And I think a big point of cosplay, although I am not a cosplayer, I'm considering it, we'll talk. Uh, but I think a big point of cosplay is learning how to just be you. When we were at the Uncanny Experience, as an example, there were all kinds of cosplayers from professional to more layman. And everybody was just there to support each other. There was no backbiting or whispers in the corners. Nobody was staring. We were all just celebrating whoever you were, whether you were 
cannonball or soft serve or anyone in between. You know, it was just this lovely time. There was a group photo taken at the end of the the thing where we all went out to the front lawn and all the cosplayers gathered on the stairs and all the fans gathered around. And it was just a wonderful thing. What was this experience like for each of you to be at this X-Men specific con? Uh, Roger, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I, I love the fact that you were, it, it felt like you were in the comic or you were in the 90s animated show, you know, and then being in that environment, in that particular venue, it just enhanced it even more. I mean, you could probably, you couldn't pick a better venue to host an event like that. You know, it you it made you feel like you were so in into the storylines and you were that character and then you see everybody else um, being their particular character and they're in character as well. And everyone's walking around, they're talking like that particular character, they're being that character. You know, it was just, uh, it was an experience that I had never been to before as far as conventions, because I've been to a lot, but you know, those conventions are like, you know, here's a giant wall. Yeah, yeah, the conventions are different. This was like an immersive experience. It was completely different. Yeah, yeah. it was It was so great. It, you know, it was, it, and, and being immersive as well. You know, I'm, I'm telling guests, um, who are, are looking for a certain clue and I'm talking like the juggernaut, hey, no, you can't do this and that, you know, and, you know, showing them you need to find an X-Men because this juggernaut's not going to help you, you know, <laughs> so like that. And it was just, it was just great, you know, just the, uh, uh, you know, I can't wait to go back again and do it. It's just, I, um, I'll be there too. I can't wait. Let's hang out. Uh, what's it like to transport juggernaut armor across the country? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's, it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the easiest thing. Um, I, I have the fear of it being lost, which it has been. I was a guest out in Saudi Arabia um, mm. for an event, and they wanted a juggernaut. It was it was Saudi Arabia's first uh, toy convention that they were having, and so they they flew me out, and they lost the upper body of the juggernaut when I got there. So, you know, I had to go to Germany and then from Germany I had to fly to Saudi Arabia. I was going to say, were you so just like a little, in there, you just a no little dude with like giant legs and giant arms? <laughs> I, I was. So, you know, I'm at the con and all I had was my boots and my legs. That's all I had. <laughs> it's just they're propped up and I have no upper body, no legs, no, no, no arms, no nothing. You know, and it is daunting because, you know, you got to make a, a custom sized box to fit, you know, the armors in. And that goes for all my other suits, you know. Um, the other ones are too big. I probably have to ship like half of them just to get over to where it is. Uh, Juggernaut, I can now put it in two larger boxes that will fit on a plane, you know, but then again, the fear of it, it being lost somewhere in translation kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah. yeah that's, that's... It's not the easiest thing. Uh, Kree and Andre, I'd love you to take the same question, but let me just throw this out there quickly. You guys, along with Jordan Olson and a few other people, uh, got to teach an incredible class at the Uncanny Experience about cosplaying as people of color. It was so special and so moving. The room was packed and like overflowing into the hallway. Uh, it was really lovely to see you guys uh, represent in that way. Uh, so what was this experience like for you at the Uncanny Experience? Uh, Kree, do you want to take that first? was so much fun to do that panel <laughs> with Jordan and Andre. I have randomly, Andre, are you listening? You listening to me, yes, right? I'm on? here. I'm all ears. Okay, all ears. good, good. Because I'm about to say a lot of nice things about you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, 
I've had a lot of regular conversations about those topics, about representation and diversity, because it is what I build my cosplay platform on. And every once in a while, you'll meet someone who has, you know, their perspective that's similar to my perspective. A lot of people indulge in media. They take in media. They watch media. And that's essentially where they stop. But when you have this avid love for a concept or a genre or a, a theme or what have you, you go deeper, you look deeper, especially when you want it to be like, you know, you want it to be a part of everything that you do from this point on, you know? So when I get around people who not only have, uh, you know, indulged in the media, but have these deep, passionate opinions about it from just their perspective and what they've experienced, it's, it's, it's enriching for the entire group. We had such a diverse group of people in the room and Andre Jordan and I were able to give so much feedback from like, okay, I'm this year's old and in this year, it wasn't like this. You know, we didn't have this much freedom of expression. You have Andre's experience where he was talking about, you know, in the eighties and how different it was in the eighties. Cause I cannot, I, once again, I commend you. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I'm a fighter. Um, and then you have me who's grown into this, uh, uh, come into this decade where it's a lot more accepting. It's cool. You're actually supposed to like Marvel now. And when you compare how different it was and the different struggles all three of us had in embracing who we were, it just created an, uh, you had an immersive experience within an immersive experience. experience yeah. Yeah. Um, I can say that um, because for me, it was transformative because you don't get the opportunity to have these conversations in a room full of people who are and have experienced the same things you have. And I think that's where uh, that particular panel was uh, vastly important because we always talk about the mutant experience and how it relates to anyone, whether they are you know, gay, straight, an outsider, whatever. But when you start to peel away the layers and you start to peel away um, people's experiences, a lot of the people of color are kind of left on the sidelines. So when it comes down to the mutant experience and how that related back to us, I'm all conversation about it because the thing is that we don't talk enough about it. Um, so to be in that instance with Cree and with Jordan, I was just, I was just beyond, <laughs> I was beyond happy. I mean, and then to have a packed room and have people actually interact and ask the questions like, how do you handle this or how do you cope with the you know the racism in, in in the cosplay community that can be affecting you like there was a lot of different conversations that needed to be had and i think that's what really solidified the uncanny experience for me as being one of the most transcendent um experiences because you know we we all go to conventions you know there might be like an x-men panel whatever the case may be but no one is hardly ever in cosplay um but then you go to something like that and everyone's in cosplay. Everyone <clears throat> is there enjoying themselves and enjoying that particular fandom. It and wasn't like, oh, this is like the X-Men and like Daredevil. No, it's literally just X-Men. <laughs> There's a difference between just being celebrated for your differences, which is a wonderful thing. And that was a big part of that weekend. God, I sound like I'm like the promoter of the uncanny experience. Here. <laughs> I'm not even on the board. I just had a really good time, guys. Uh, but there's a difference between being celebrated and being able to have these conversations with a room full of people who understand and who feel those feelings, you know? Or don't. Or don't. Because a lot of times you have people who don't understand the experience and want to understand the experience. And there are people in that room who were so open and um, 
wanting to understand. And I think that was also really important about that moment. Um, there are variable levels of cosplay. There's the kind of, you know, you wear a red shirt and a blue pair of pants that you found at a thrift store kind of cosplay and you create some home crafty kind of stuff. There's a lot of companies now where people are like special ordering a gambit print suit or a multiple man suit to be able to wear, which is kind of a, a, a level up. Uh, and that's a pretty affordable way. Those, those, those particular, um, uh, costumes are expensive, but not astronomically expensive. And then there's the kind of cosplay where you're creating things out of foam and crafting swords out of metal yourself at home, which is much more time and labor intensive and probably cost intensive as well. So a question for all of you, but Roger, if you'll take this one first, uh, what's it like to create these looks that you are making? It is painstaking, I imagine, and just takes hours and hours and hours of your time. Uh, by the way, everybody, Roger's got a big, like, Mr. Sinister torso behind him as we're talking. So <laughs> that makes me very excited for what may be coming up for you. Yeah, Sinister's coming. But yeah, it's, you know, it's very labor intensive. A lot of the suits that I have average anywhere from four to nine months to finish. So there's a lot of times where I'll have like a leg for one character, an arm for another, because, you know, I get into this phase where, oh, I like this character. I think I can do this one. So I start it, but then I have an idea for another character and I stop that because now that one's in my head. So I start, you know, freehand drawing something on patterns and then I just start cutting down and see what it starts to look like. And, and then all of a sudden I have like four characters and nothing's complete, you know. <laughs> so almost that is all of us. It's horrible. This is what running the show is like for me. I get excited about one thing, and I'm like, "Ooh, in nine months, I can fit this in." Now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's exactly what it's like for me. So now, you know, when I started doing um, these giant suits, it, they of course they take a lot longer. And I have a lot of friends also that that help me. Like they'll they'll put like this piece together, I'll give them all the pieces and then they'll start shaping something for me. And then while they're doing that, I can work on something else. So it's, um, it's, it's daunting. They say at least it's not the easiest thing to do. And also horrible to have, uh, like no space around to have things for. So I had to go get a storage unit for all these you guys. Things and... You guys, Roger has three five-year-old triplets. Just throw that out there. And all of us have data. Yeah. And, you're still, and, you're, and you're crafting all of this. You are a godsend. Like you, I can't, I can't even imagine. Well, see, and that's the thing. So when my triplets were born, it, it took me, it took a lot away from me as far as crafting. So that's when I, you know, I, I brought my friends in to start helping me finish all the stuff that I started. And now it's whenever I start doing something, it's two hours at night when I have free time and quiet time or so. Because that you know the triplets take up all basically all of my time now, and then when I try doing it while they're around, they're getting up on my lap and they're fiddling with all the foam, and then they're playing. I'm like, okay, I can't do that right now. So I gotta, you know, then they want to do something, and then they want to play with all the stuff that I have. So I just can't do it. It's just you know I have to wait till they go to sleep. So it just makes it a lot harder. And but that's an accepting challenge that I take now. You know, that's the, that's I, uh, the process of having triplets. I have two children, not triplets. And I remember the day when they could both put on their own pants. And I was like, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Three oh, five-year-olds, man, just, I can't imagine. You know, just I was just happy when they got out of diapers. You know, it was, it was 
289, I counted, 289 diapers a week is what oh I had to God. do. And yes. Wow. So, you know, those big, big Costco diaper boxes, which is like, I think it's like 260 of them in, in one box. I'd go through that in a week and, and then have to do another half. So it was, it was just, ah, you know, can you, can you repurpose any of that material into your cosplay looks? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Diaper bombs just everywhere. <laughs> the Sentinel made of diapers. Like <laughs> Andre, I know you've had the Zed, looks. Uh, Andre, I know you've had multiple looks, but you, uh, at this most recent uh, look I saw you in with Bishop, you had this kind of light up fist that looks like Bishop's using his powers. So same yeah. question, what's it like to kind of craft or create yeah. these, these components? So... What it's like, it is absolutely maddening um, when you're a cosplayer and, you know, and you could be a cosplayer like me who knows the character and you want to be as accurate as possible when you execute your look. Yes. So I had always seen Bishop cosplayers and none of them would attempt his power signature. And I was like, you know what, if I'm, I'm going to do Bishop finally, I want him to look the part. I want him to look straight out of the comics or straight out of the cartoon. Um, and I want to take it a step further. So, you know, looking at all of the, the Bishop cosplays I've ever seen, I was like, okay, how do I do this? How can I craft this thing? Um, and, you know, with my skill set, uh, you know, much like Roger, I'm like, can I create something like that in foam? Can I do something that's going to look really cool? Um, using like a liquid foam that'll give me like the texture and the look and like, can I light that thing up? And the answer was no, because I just don't, I just <laughs> didn't have it. Um, and I was like, well, how do I do this? And, and you know, we're in an age now, like you said, uh, Chad, that there are things that you can do. There are things that you can buy. There are things that can enhance your cosplay uh, arsenal. And so luckily we're in the age of 3D printing and I absolutely, you know, happened to find a company who did 3D printing energy balls. And they actually happened to have one that they did for a cosplayer who commissioned them to do a Johnny Storm fire gauntlet. And I found it. I was like, that is the awesome. absolute best thing that I can add to this. And I reached out to them. I was like, hey, do you have it in a pink colorway? And they're like, no, we don't. But like, since you asked for it, we might as well just add it. And, you know, they, you know, they told me how long it was going to take. And, you know, they asked me for my measurements on my hand. And then I want to say in three weeks, I opened up this gauntlet and you could hear the gasp in my voice when I opened it up and put that thing on and then turned the battery pack on. And I just melted. I was like, this is literally the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, and it just added to the entire outfit for me like you know like for me i my skill set you know i work in eva foam you know i work in fabrics so a lot of my costumes are going to be like 50 50 they're going to be 50 percent of me making certain things and then it's going to be 50 percent of me just purchasing stuff so like the spandex i outs you know outsourced and i got that pattern and stuff made and everything else the boots the you know boots i had to buy and modify the belt i had to make out of foam the, the gun that he uses, that was a water gun I found on Amazon and just like modified it with like paints and all this other good stuff. So when you think about what you can do with cosplay and every time someone asks me, he's like, what do you do? I was like, you can buy half of this shit and you can make it if you want. But, you know, start off small. If you can buy it, buy it. 
And then that will give you the opportunity to say, okay, I want to make my next one. And then you start to learn how to make the next one. So like for Bishop, I had always wanted to do that. So when I saw that gauntlet, it literally was like, yep, no, that's it. That, that, that's where I want to be. And that's what I'm going to be like, what I'm known for now. Like people are literally tagging me. <laughs> and like, when they find the action figure in target, there's like, it's talk nerdy to me. It's you, it's, it's you. I'm like, I love that <laughs> because I can see it. And if anything else, like now, you know, anything that's artwork online, people are tagging me in Bishop artwork that they find. So it's like, it's so cool like to, to have that moment. As a female cosplayer or female presenting cosplayer, there are skill sets for all of us, I know, but for women especially, where you got to learn hair and makeup and color contacts and corsets and skirts and weapons and headpieces. It's, uh, it's a pretty intense process. The cosplayer I am closest friends with at this point through the show is Demanda Martini, who is a drag queen, and we talk a lot about the different types of looks she tries, tries to craft. I know you've done uh, multiple Storm looks and Black Panther and Shira and Maleficent and everyone in between. What has been uh, one of the lessons you've learned or, or a skill you've developed through cosplay, and what's been the most uh, unpleasant look you've worn? Okay, so um, ooh, that's a good question. First of all, uh, I came up with this motto back when I was making our um, Power Ranger suits because one of our goals was to make the 1995 Mighty Morphin Power Ranger movie suits. And that was actually our very first ever build. Like we hadn't built a costume before. We attempted to make full-blown phone craft helmets and body armor, you know? So we had to, we got so excited at first. We were like, yeah, we want to do this. And we want to do that. Then, you know, the price tag started racking up and the, <laughs> the, the skills started being a little bit too intricate <laughs> and difficult. And we started pausing and like, okay, so why don't we, um, well, let's do this. Let's make what we can and buy what we can't and mm -hmm. just do a little bit more each time you try another costume. And when I tell you that, that has saved me so much uh, stress Frustration. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it saves your life when you realize, you know, who are you really trying to impress by sewing your own gloves? Like if that's <laughs> if that's a goal for you, that's cool. But once you start learning how to sew and you realize that gloves are one of the more intricate pieces that you could ever make, it, is it worth the trouble? You know, and that's a decision you have to make as a cosplayer. If you, you know, binged on some Krispy Kreme donuts and you wanna be, you know, in the nice skin tight black storm outfit, uh, you better go ahead and size up on that corset, you know? <laughs> like you make the sacrifices based on what you're dealing with and what you're doing, you know? It's, it, cosplay <laughs> can be overwhelming if you let it, but if you, uh, if you approach it as, I'm doing this for fun, at the end of the day, Yes, I want a million people to see this costume because I put close to a million dollars in it. Yes, I want to meet this big cosplayer and take a picture with them. Yes, I want the voice actor to recognize me. You want all these nice shiny things, but it can't be worth, you know, your hair at the end of the day. You don't want to grow a bald spot stressing over cosplay. <laughs> yes, because so, con crunch is real. Con crunch is oh my God. Awful, an awful, awful feeling. <laughs> Even when you think you did, you don't have to do it. You don't have it to. pops up. <laughs> But it's great that you have that outlet that you can go and get those things now. Because back in the day, you couldn't get them. Oh you couldn't God. go out and get it. Yeah, you, you know. Could. Now you have all these three D printers. You can have, you have all these printers that can do fabric. I love that. The fact yeah. that you can make it your life easier now as a cosplayer. Like oh, I don't want to make it. There's times where I'm like I don't want to make that. Can you just do it for me? 
that's you know that's my my, my tally now <laughs> thank you and it's so great because i remember there was a weird moment when anime comic books all this stuff was slowly becoming you know mainstream and you know people who would bully us in middle school are suddenly like yeah i like iron man so you know there was this this weird tension <laughs> shift that we all had to go through you know where we had to learn okay stop you can't gatekeep everyone's allowed to come in when they can get in and with that uh, uh switch there was this clash of mentalities as far as like what do you prioritize what makes a real cosplayer what makes you better than da, da 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 there was this whole competition competitive edge because we had this new mindset coming into cosplay mixing with who were already people who were already here who had to you know kind of struggle to get their costumes together you know mm -hmm. and now we've kind of calmed down to this understanding of there are different levels appreciate the different levels and and don't be difficult give someone else a one-up that you didn't have because the goal is to make it easy for everybody yeah yeah my final my final question for each of you before we transition to the issue review i am a five foot eleven 45 year old father of two who has gray temples and like i hit the gym but i also like a sandwich who would you recommend i cosplay as uh at the uncanny experience next year oh very good one madison jeffries forge <laughs> <laughs> you can completely pull off Madison Jeffries. Madison Jeffries is an interesting challenge. I like um, that. Or, or I take it one step further because we're talking about props and stuff. Um, Dr. Nemesis. Ooh, <laughs> that would be fun. Dr. Nemesis. <laughs> I love Nemesis. the Forge idea, but I feel like that would be cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> Give me who you want to be. <laughs> you actually can like even if, if we were to do like based on who you like or who you look like you have a lot of options yeah I, and i'd be damned if someone tells me i can't there. yeah i'd be damned yeah. if someone can't do banshee i, I do banshee like i will literally do banshee <laughs> boom yeah <laughs> uh it is so lovely and i get this experience on this show often but i uh i was so pleased to meet all of you and you were also warm and intelligent and sweet but even talking to you today you're also well spoken and passionate you guys don't do this as your full-time jobs. You do it because you're passionate about it and you love it. And you've created a level of professionalism around it where you're known for what you do. Uh, but mad respect to each of you. I'm just a, an enormous fan. And I'm so excited to uh, hopefully cross paths with you all later this year uh, at, at various uh, conventions again. Um, I got, I got to have Jordan Olson on recently. Uh, uh, I've become friends with uh, with DJ and Justin Kosmachuk and I are close friends. And there's just this whole group of folks that was it just was so fun to hang out with all of you. I keep cracking up over uh, Jordan as Lilandra going, Charles, Charles at the Hellfire Gala. It's my favorite thing. Uh, Jordan's great. Listening, we love you. Um, we're going to transition now into the issue review. Uh, Andre, I've asked you this question before, but... Cree and Roger, uh, are either of you X-Men Silver Age fans? What's it like for you to step into this old era of comic books in 1973 where we get to read this random-ass beast adventure? <laughs> I love it, actually. It kind of makes it, you know, more more of that real kind of storylines. You know, it, it's, it was like when it was best. is when it was back in the days, you know. It gives me I a little Scooby-Doo cartoon early yeah, exactly. energy, the whole thing. Uh, Kree, how I love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I, I had a couple of thoughts. First of all, I'm a comic book researcher more than a reader. 
because I'm very picky about which comics I pick up. And whenever it's like, okay, I'm not necessarily interested in this character, but I will read everything about that storyline so I can go into this one knowing everything I need to know, you know? Um, and that's taking me down some rabbit holes, like <laughs> for hours on end. I'm like, yeah, I was supposed to learn about uh, what happened during the uh, scroll invasion, but I'm way off basis now, guys. I'm not even <laughs> in the same, like, and it's, it's fun and I enjoy it. So I got really used to seeing the old comic book art because it was like, I, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to know what was the first iteration, how they modernized it, what this decade's take on that would do. You know what I mean? Because every so often they reboot the comics. So it's like, how is this the new technology, the new mindsets? How is that going to affect the story we're reading? And going back into this, I realized that I have different accents that I do in my head <laughs> when I'm reading, depending on the decade. <laughs> So, of course, we have the transatlantic accent when I'm reading this comic book. Everyone's speaking, uh, uh, I'm trying to like those 40, those the 60s to the 40s, that mm -hmm. detective comic kind of uh, uh, voice that they would use. It's the voice Connor Goldsmith does for Candy Southern, for those of you that are familiar. Yes, thank you. I, was like, <laughs> I cannot think of an example. Yeah, but well, yeah, I was when I read, reading, yeah, huh? No, I say when I read them, you know, like the old uh, gangster movies where every sentence ends with C. And I was reading the candles and I had to pause and I was like, whoa, what voice is that? This is, a, <laughs> this is a pretty obscure corner for X-Men fans. It's not even an X-Men villain we're going to talk about, although there isn't team up with the angel here. So as a quick recap for those, if you've been following along on my show, you'll know all of this, but we're also recording this a few weeks ahead of time. So the ones here in the room with me would not have heard the episodes I'm talking about yet. Uh, so previously on Grey Malkin Lane, in Amazing Adventures, the X-Men were bit players in the Marvel Universe at this time. They were not being used. They're hiding in the mansion. And this is still a couple of years before Giant Size takes place. But uh, I got to interview Steve Englehart, who is the writer of this issue. Uh, that uh, episode debuted a couple of weeks ago, if you want to go hear his thoughts. But Beast, they were trying to do new things with. This is a new kind of creative freedom era at Marvel Comics. The editorial reins have been loosened a little bit. And uh, the themes are getting a little bit more serious, even though they remain camp. They're not camp like they were in the 60s. Uh, so Henry McCoy has been on quite a journey. He left the X-Men. He took a job at the Brand Corporation, which is a fictional parody of the real-life Rand Corporation. He, uh, While he was there, he isolated the chemical cause of mutation. But when agents of the Secret Empire tried to steal it, Hank consumed the liquid and it changed him into a furry beast. He was initially gray, now he's kind of turning blackish-bluish. Uh, he has designed a latex mask and hands for himself. He has straps that keep <laughs> him standing upright, and he wears an overcoat that can help him blend in among the humans. He has fought Iron Man... He fought the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and Quasimodo. He's also been keeping his secret identity secret from, or his beast identity secret from his girlfriend, Linda Donaldson, who is also a spy for the Secret Empire. Anyway, there's also a nosy military uh, representative running around. This is Buzz Baxter, and his wife is Patsy Walker. Patsy Walker was Marvel's kind of Barbie slash Archie Comics heroine in 1950s comics. Uh, Steve brought her into this title. Uh, she is uh, uh, setting up her appearance for Hellcat in this issue, or, or her transformation into Hellcat later. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, Patsy has been kind of curious about Beast, but Buzz is kind of on his case, and they're looking for Hank. That's kind of all you need moving into this issue. This is Amazing Adventures number 16, published in 1972 in November. 
The title is Murder in Midair. This is written by Steve Englehart with pencils by Tom Sutton, inks by Frank Giacoya and John Tartag. Gene Izzo's on letters and Roy Thomas is the editor. Uh, any thoughts from the group on that crazy continuity before I jump into our issue review? No, no. Do you guys prefer Beast, uh, Beast Blue and Furry? I love Blue and Furry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I prefer the blue. It, it's weird to think that it's just a sheen and he's not blue. I don't, he's blue. <laughs> he'll, <laughs> he's always, blue. he'll always be blue to me. He'll always be blue. Don't do that to my brain. Yeah. On this cover, I'm going to take a particular read of this. It's pretty pornographic. It seems like this supervillain named the Griffin uh, is having a full-on orgy with Angel and Beast in the sky. Uh, he's a big burly bear at the top. He's a massive dude with a full lion's mane around his face. Lion paws, huge eagle wings. He's gripping Beast as he enters him from behind. Sorry. He's just finished fucking the angel and he's tossed him aside. And he's yelling, all right, mutant, I finished off the angel. Now it's your turn. And underneath it says, the coming of the griffin. Uh, so this is pure, <laughs> like, veiled pornography. What are your thoughts on this cover? <laughs> I mean, since you put it that way, I, was, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even... I, I, I was more concerned with the griffin. Like, I was like, who is this person? I don't remember him. Um... But I think also, I think the cover itself also showed Beast um, looking more menacing in the blue fur. Like, for some reason, towards the 90s, he looked more lovable. Like, this one, he was just, like, really, uh, This is uh, before his lab coat and beast. glasses Sleep hanging era. from the ceiling era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, were, any of you, form, yeah. <laughs> were any of you familiar with this character, the Griffin, before? No. Vague. I like, was, you yeah. You hear the name, but you don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Roger, Roger, how'd you know the Griffin? Uh, just from reading comics from the old old days, and then um, I've met some some artists who would draw the Griffin, and then they actually told me that they got that from an X Men um, comic book. So I'm like, and then I started looking into it. I'm like, oh, Griffin! It was kind of a character that I could see myself making and doing. Oh, that'd be incredible! Again, you know, like, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Question answered. So I uh, think I can do it. <laughs> some people know the Griffin more recently. I mean, he's kind of a bit guy who's been around a bunch of different titles over the years. He's probably shown up, I don't know, a hundred times in various Marvel comics over the last 50 years. He was part of the Hoods gang in the Brian Michael Bendis, like, Avengers run that went on forever. Uh, this is also weirdly, uh, do you guys know the character Quake or Daisy Johnson? Uh, yeah. Who, this is her dad. So if you oh read this, why, why didn't I know that? Why oh, that's her dad. Oh no, I'm so I'm super sorry. Mr. Hyde is is Quake's dad. Her ally Yo-Yo Yo-Yo Rodriguez, uh, or Slingshot. This is her dad. Griffin is Yo-Yo. Oh, gotcha. Okay. 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 Uh, I, was, I was like, this okay. this this family tree, y'all. Okay. <laughs> family. Okay. I remember Yo-Yo. I remember Yo-Yo. I remember all of those uh, from. Uh, the Ages of Shield. Book. Yeah, and the Secret Warriors book that was Secret based Warriors, on these are Hickman yeah. characters. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so on page one, we open with uh, Patsy Walker in a nightgown. I got to talk to Steve Englehart about this. They're really trying hard to make the book sell. It gets canceled in like one more issue, Beast's story does. But he's, he tells the artist to draw Patsy in like a sexy negligee, which is hilarious for the 1970s. <laughs> uh, the caption says, and so one morning, Patsy Walker heard a knocking on her door and opened it. And there's a fugly looking beast who looks drunk. He's got the hugest, weirdest arms in this panel. I don't know what's happening. He's falling on her. She is in a, a blue sleeveless nighty and you're getting like the outline of her ass here like adolescent males in the 1970s be warned 
Uh, Patsy, in her best, like, Adelaide from Guys and Dolls voice, goes, Oh, golly, it's that beast creature Buzz has been trying to catch. I better telephone Buzz at his office. But the beast <laughs> might bleed to death if I don't do something right away. I've got to help. Uh, Buzz won't like it, I know. He'll tell me I'm being a silly female. Beast falls over on the floor. His head is swirling. It's the greenest fucking apartment I have ever seen. Everything in this room is green. Green wallpaper, green carpet, green framed photos, green curtains. It's like Kermit the Frog threw up in there. She bandages up some of his wounds. He has had a healing factor in the last few issues, and apparently it's starting to wear off, and now he needs some bandages. Uh, Beast thinks all about his recent adventures, and he wakes up and realizes his fur has changed from gray to black. And Patsy says, it's changed while you were delirious. All of a sudden, it just turned color. Weirdest thing I ever saw. But don't get excited. You've got to rest. And he just freaks the fuck out, runs for the door. Rest while I continue to mutate? No, I've got to escape. Run. And she spreads her legs for a pose. She's wearing blue heels with her nightgown. Shows everyone that the sexy girl can also be smart because she listened when he was sleeping and talking. And now she knows he is Henry McCoy. Let me hear your opening thoughts on this interchange between Patsy Walker and the Beast. It's delightful. <laughs> I would just like to start off by saying the only unrealistic thing about her apartment speaking as a woman is that she has heels on. that's it that's it we that early in the morning (laughs) if we love a color enough the entire house will be that color okay i actually have to stop myself sometimes so the green completely realistic the slips sometimes we wear something randomly sexy it makes no sense right not gonna explain that the only thing that got me about this entire exchange were the heels I'm like she's in her house and then and then guys i don't know if you guys have access to see the the comic panel but when you see her heels like the full thing she has these just it's drawn like jessica rabbit where she has no toes yeah <laughs> or there's like, like no the, straps there's nothing that's holding them together They're nothing just like, it is a shoe that is held on by faith prayer and apparently bubble gum <laughs> so when i when i saw those shoes i realized when i was younger how important it was <laughs> for me to have like cute dainty feet. You know, I would when I was playing with my Barbie dolls, they had the same cute dainty feet. Reference yeah. the Barbie movie, just the pointed Barbie. Here. It's crazy how it all just comes together. Like this is why you read old comics to see, oh, that's where that comes from. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> and Patsy does have a Barbie look to her, you know. Right. She does. She does. And I was actually yeah. wondering if if the eventual Hellcat persona she takes on came from Beast. Ooh. I know. So, yes, that actually, I'll, I'll reveal this now. A little later in the issue, Patsy does Beast a favor. We'll get to that in a little while. And in my interview with Steve Englehart, because he because the book got canceled, he picked up these threads later when he brought Beast into the Avengers. And uh, Beast owes her a favor. So when they're on a particular mission, he gives her the old cat suit that Greer Nelson used to wear, Tiger, oh, okay. uh, created by Linda Fight, friend of the show who I've had on, uh, Marvel's first female writer. And so that's where Patsy gets the Hellcat, Hellcat costume from. It's set up in this issue. Gotcha. Okay, I didn't know that. Look at me yeah. learning. Well, I didn't either until I interviewed Steve <laughs> <laughs> Roger, do you have thoughts on these early pages? I just love the artwork from back in those days. It's great. It's uh, it's pretty fun. And I love her kind of cheesecake moment here. Patsy Walker is yeah. a great character. Uh, there's a there's a recent, uh, the, the newest issue of Sensational She-Hulk that just came out by Rainbow Rowell. Patsy comes to visit She-Hulk and they're going to visit Carol Danvers together. And Patsy's like, 
Carol doesn't like me. She told me I'm like a lot. <laughs> I'm like, yay. <laughs> I love these moments for her. She's a lot. Of, uh, okay, so uh, when we, we we cut to the X-Men who are dressed for dinner at the Xavier Mansion, Jean's in a little hot tennis dress. Her hair has been blown out. Warren's got his green smoking jacket on. Professor X has a purple jacket with a green tie. Uh, Scott's doing a red jacket, black tie look, uh, which just gives us the idea that he's sucking up to Xavier, like always, like I'm going to be little Professor X's mini me. Angel is reading in the paper about a beast at the brand corporation, and he's worried about Hank McCoy, who they haven't heard from in a while. But Professor X, who is in like a wheelchair from like 1885 here, I don't know what is happening, says they have to give Beast his space. And Angel's like, dude, the world is not nice to mutants and the X-Men are a team and I'm going to go find him. And he's shirtless in green pants and just goes uh, goes flying off to find his friend. Cyclops is like, shall I stop him, Professor? And Xavier goes, no, Scott, it's not a question of right or wrong or of my obligation to Hank versus my obligation to Warren. It's a question of feelings. And this is something the Angel feels in his heart he must do. What's your read on this interchange with our favorite mutant characters? I think Angel has more of that Magneto kind of um, thinking. You know, he doesn't care about all the other um, people in the world. He just cares about his mutants and what the uh, um, the outside world thinks of them. You know, he just has that. I don't give a shit. I'm just gonna go find my buddy. And we'll notice Iceman is not here. Mm-hmm. This is right around the time yeah. he was teaming up with Spider-Man and that weird issue we recently reviewed with Steve Angle or with Steve Orlando, I mean. Yeah, uh, I noticed that he wasn't there. Yeah. Cree, do you like uh do you like their fashion here? I was actually gonna comment on a few things. Um uh the first thing, I remember always having an issue with remembering the ages of the X-Men, especially when I was researching a lot. And I remember it's because of comic panels like this where Angel looks like he looks like a grown, strong man. But then if you go into other iterations, he's younger. And I'm like, wait a second. Okay, wait, timeline, get it together. You know, you're reading from different timelines. So you have to keep all that together. So when I was looking at this, I was like, oh, wow. He looks so rugged. So rugged. So, oh, he's going to get things done. And then when I saw the camera panel with a shirt off, I was like, oh, Okay, I just barely, Angel, I just barely right. noticed Xavier's sitting in front of like a whole wall full of telephones. I don't know which part of the mansion yeah. this is. <laughs> the danger room. <laughs> and it's uh, just any, the kitchen, right? <laughs> any other thoughts on the X-Men interaction? Um, I loved it, actually. Yeah. I, I love these little moments with them where they have differing opinions on like what should be done. Like I just, I eat, I eat it up to see everyone's perspectives each, each time. Yeah, I, I honestly, I laughed and, and giggled when they were saying how um, in the very first panel that uh, things were moving and they were going to go to Westchester and the secret home, of the X-Men. I was like, but you just gave away where their secret home was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> We're not uh, in the universe. We don't count. We don't count. I know. We I know. We're, I know. We, we, we're supposed to know more than they do. I get yes. it. Yes. And um, we also we also forget <laughs> often the X Men had been canceled at this time. Steve Englehart was the only one using these characters. We're going to be reviewing a lot oh, of wow. Steve Englehart books in Hulk, Captain America, because this is before Claremont, before Giant Size. This is before the yeah, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is okay. Yeah, so people were like, we don't, we don't care about them right now. 
Uh, we flip the page and it says, meanwhile, back at the Beast. And Beast is bounding through the rooftops uh, thinking, and I just, I, I'm not going to read this word for word, but he, he's thinking, I've been through a great many strange occurrences in my years as a superhero, but that talk with Patsy, Magneto, Sauron, Factor 3, at least they knew the unwritten rules, the danger of the lonely life we all lead. But her, she's only a simple small town, even old fashioned type of girl. And I just pray she hasn't gotten in over her head by uncovering my secret. Uh, is he calling her old fashioned because of the nighty in heels? <laughs> I, I'm first of all, he's having this deep introspective conversation with himself, jumping over rooftops. Like, rooftop to rooftop. I yeah. would be so afraid that I would fall. He's like, no, I'm just gonna. Wait, have you this. guys don't think while doing parkour? I mean, <laughs> that's that's not how you guys brainstorm. No, 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 not at all. No, listen, I, don't knock it till yeah. you try it. I'm Hanks more worried about me falling, <laughs> breaking something. He's just having this really casual, introspective conversation with himself from jumping from rooftop to rooftop. I was like, that's so interesting. The Griffin is now introduced. He is an agent of the Secret Empire, who are again the Nazi like KKK group who has infiltrated the United States government. I've said this on the show a few times, but this storyline later in the 70s, uh, Steve Englehart will pick this up in Captain America. And this is the infamous story that starts here where Richard Nixon is implied to be their leader and he commits suicide at the end and Captain America quits being Captain America. These are those guys. So oh, they, okay. they've created the Griffin, who is now being sent to attack the Beast. Uh, Roger, do you want to describe the Griffin for us? <laughs> He's definitely a, a beastly-looking animal. Love the lion mane hair. It's, uh, I don't know, I kind of want to be him. <laughs> He's a little bit amazing. It's, uh, it's just everything, you know, the huge wings, the talons, the... I love the hair. <laughs> the hair is, yeah, the hair is it's 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 a wonderful mane of hair. Like, here I'm thinking like close you can make that do that. If you zoom in close enough and crop out the rest, you can have like a L'Oreal or Tresemme kind of written down yeah. at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, very Throw some aquanet in there. Yeah, we're gonna talk about this man's origins, but this is a big guy. He's like seven feet tall. He's got a full lion mane and like a head condom, like gambit head condom around his face, like right one of those like like head socks where the hair still flows. Massive. I was gonna say the gambit look, yeah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> skin tight red, and then these huge ass like lion paws with like sharp claws. He's so he's flying. He's like scratching shit with his claws. He's bantering with the beast. My favorite moment is when Beast says, "Don't mind me, but I never play hard to get on first dates, Griffin, or should I call you Merv?" Uh, Merv. Merv. Phenomenal. <laughs> Uh, and then we we see the griffin uh, get flipped over Beast's head, slammed into the ground with a thud. Beast tries to pull his fucking mane off and realizes it's not a mask. And this guy's face is like pasty vampire white surrounded by this like yellow mane. This is the ugliest supervillain at Marvel Comics like up to this point. He's a horrible. Uh, and then the angel flies in. They found each other. And angel says two monsters battling each other and both of them strangers because they do not know about the beast yet. He like hangs back for a minute so he can realize uh, which one of them is good and which one of them is evil. Meanwhile, Beast is over there like, why isn't Warren helping me? Uh, tell me your thoughts up to this point on this aerial battle. It's kind of fun. <laughs> um, I think at this point I was still trying to figure out why Beast had underwear on. <laughs> um, and so did the Griffin. I'm like, why? Well, like, what is it? 
what like what like why are we do i mean because i i'm i work in you know I, i'm a designer so i work in detail and i'm like looking at everything so i'm like even the most mundane pieces of information are standing out to me um but i beast, thought overall, beast in the beast in the blob have the same costume <laughs> yeah like i think overall this was really it was fun i think you know for the time it was like this aerial fight like you know Beast is literally held up in midair by the griffin and he's like kicking and punching and they're just literally just like falling and fighting. So uh, <laughs> Beast manages to knock Griffin down. Angel makes the mistake of catching Griffin who then punches Angel unconscious and Beast has to save Angel from dying. And as they land on the ground, uh, Griffin flies away for a strategic retreat Retreat, and, and Hank goes, Warren, Warren, are you all right? The angel says, yeah, I think. Uh, who are you? And he goes, hey, now, have I changed that much? Okay, now, your friend just left, like, college a few weeks ago, and you're seeing them, and now they look like a big blue furry dude. This is their first time meeting. And uh, he goes, Hank, <laughs> what are your thoughts when you see your friend transformed into a blue furry monster? Uh, Angel <laughs> handles this really well. <laughs> it's one of those weird things that you have to keep in mind that, like, mutants, mutates are technically normal in their universe like they see people look different they just it, the, the process of concept conceptually understanding oh you're my friend who now looks weird oh mm. it, it, i don't think there's as much process time as there would be for us you know what i mean because we don't have mutants mm -hmm. so if someone suddenly develops their power they're like oh oh you were a mute oh you were mutants that's <laughs> why you were weird like that in fourth grade you know what i mean <laughs> i feel like they have realizations like that Beast. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andre. No, I was like, I was actually more concerned that Angel wasn't asking more questions because up until this point, no one had mutated further, like out of any of them. Like they were all just kind of much the same. He didn't ask him like, hey, when did this happen or how did it happen? Like you weren't blue the last time I saw you, you weren't blue and furry. Like later when Angel turns blue, we can only hope Beast handles it as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where he kind of accepted it, which was great. But I felt like that was a perfect opportunity for Beast to explain himself. And this is where Beast stops being accountable this early. Where <laughs> we can see, you know, how Beast is now versus then. So this is this is one of those early moments where Beast kind of does shit. And you're like, you're questioning him and you don't question him further. They climb through Beast's window to his apartment. And the caption lets us know that they are climbing into a room filled with air-conditioned darkness. Uh, where Hank, like shows that he has to put straps on. He shows Beast his creepy latex mask and his costume. Again, he's like a makeup artist now. And uh, <laughs> he says, now to appear human, I have to wear a rubberoid mask and gloves along with these thongs to keep me upright. So Beast in a thong, everybody. Uh, this is the part <laughs> I hate most. And then Angel's like, you know what? Fuck you, man. I've been having to strap my wings down for 10 fucking years. And Beast is like, oh yeah, I totally forgot. Uh, let me insert my 12 foot, 12 size foot into my 14 size mouth. What is, what's your thoughts on this interchange? We, we've had a lot of conversations on the show about queerness and how, uh, especially for transness, right? We have to like strap ourselves down and, and try to make ourselves straight, which is what Beast is literally doing with these straps. Uh, what was your thought on this interchange? I thought it was a really sweet moment, honestly. It's like, Okay, so we haven't been around each other. So what are you doing? Oh, this is how you're appearing normal? It was a very good insight into just exactly as you were describing the other side of having to appear normal in order to just exist, you know? 
I, I found it interesting how the, it, it was almost like an exchange of, oh, this is what I do. Oh, well, this is what I do. Well, can I borrow that next time I need to do something? Yeah. It happens like with cosplayers. Like if we're getting dressed together, that's how you tie your wigs down. Hey, can I borrow that? You know, exchanging mm-hmm. secrets. Mm-hmm. We uh we get a kind of I, I like the backgrounds by this artist quite a bit. Uh Beast has his mask on. There's a framed photo of uh Linda on the desk. It is 8:45 p.m. And Beast needs to figure out how to get his life uh together again. And as they go out to catch a cab, uh <laughs> Beast says to Angel, you know, just seeing you starts me talking like Bill Buckley all over again. Do you guys know who Bill Buckley is? Uh, William F. Buckley was a uh, a Republican commentator, kind of like the Rush Limbaugh of the day. If I'm yeah, 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 Beast comparing himself to this guy is, cracks me up because it's, it's pretty <laughs> bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and pulling up outside is Vera Cantor. We have not yet learned who she is. She's getting a uh, a cab ride. The only person of color in this book is the cab driver, who is framed in blue. Uh, she's in a hurry, so she just gives him a 20. She's got to try to catch Hank, but he's off. We're going to learn more about this mystery next issue, but Vera Cantor appears for all of two panels. Uh, we then flash to Linda Donaldson, who is having a secret spy call-in with her secret Nazi agent boss, who's literally wearing like a KKK mask uh, hood with like goggles <laughs> and a number one on it. Uh, she she goes, 8.48, precisely time to contact the masters. This is Agent 9, number one, calling to register a complaint. A complaint, number nine, against whom? Against whoever sent Quasimodo here. Mastermind jeopardized my job enough without more attention being drawn to brand. Mastermind tried to capture the beast on my orders, number nine, but Quasimodo came on his own after secretly reading your reports. It was unauthorized. It won't reoccur. But I want to ask you why you... So th- she goes on and she's like getting angry at him for badgering him about what she's been doing. And he... <laughs> He calls her incompetence, and she's like, incompetence? You keep sending other agents after me. And then the other Secret Empire agent, the Griffin, the giant man with the wings, climbs in her window, like, don't throw a fit. And she goes, what are you, fuck are you doing here in my rooms in broad daylight? Is everyone crazy except for me? What if somebody saw you? This woman is just trying to do her job, even though she's a Nazi, and the men will not let her do it right. Uh, do you have your th- any thoughts on Linda Donaldson? I kind of love her. <laughs> She's got um, that nice attitude. I don't give fuck. She about does, but you know what the funny <laughs> yeah. thing is? I didn't remember Linda until this issue. I remember that Beast was dating her um, because he had mentioned her like years ago. And uh, to see her in this thing, I was like, I was not aware that she was like, like spying on him. Like I didn't know that she was against him from the start. Yeah, we. Uh, I did a Patreon episode on her. She's nuts. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't show up a whole bunch more. But she's she's kind of fun. Uh, we then learned the secret origin of the Griffin. Uh, he was a punk in a New Orleans gang trying to make a name for himself until a dude from Chicago used me for some local muscle. <laughs> then they connected him to the secret empire. So let's take the guy off the streets who's a good fighter. Let's bring him to the Nazi spy organization. And then let's uh, transform him into a supervillain. They had a mad scientist permanently graft wings onto his back and lion paws onto his hands. And they permanently surgically grafted a lion mane around his face for some fucking reason. And this is the kind of Silver Age shit that I love. What are your thoughts on this transformation for Mr. Johnny Horton, the Griffin? I feel like a lot of villains have completely justifiable reasons for being evil. And we don't give them enough credit. 
Like if you woke up with a lion's mane grafted to your face and you were just, you know, a struggling poor kid on the street, I just wanted to feed my family. I didn't want to be a chimera. Yes, I would be violent too. Like you, come on. His yes. shampoo bill alone. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. what I loved, what I loved, loved about this, this conversation was he randomly goes through Linda's window, surprises her. And then she's like, yeah, what are you doing? You know, who's going to see you? And then he goes into like this anime flashback that no one asked about, about why he felt that no one saw him and gives this whole thing. And he explains himself. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I could care less. What the fuck are you doing in my bedroom? <laughs> Love that. She's like, okay, you just went through memory lane for no reason. Um, any other thoughts on the Griffin's surgical procedures? Uh, Roger, any thoughts? No, it's go big or go home. More menacing, the better. <laughs> this uh, this guy's got like the energy of like the Captain America villain, the armadillo, who got mm-hmm. who did kind of a similar thing, but then got armadillo. changed into an armadillo. Like poor guy. <laughs> uh, Linda is watching the Brand Corporation through her like little TV, and uh, we flip over to Buzz Baxter and uh, Patsy Walker. Buzz is a jerk. This is the later Marvel supervillain Mad Dog. They're kind of sitting around, and Beast or Hank McCoy has been like telling a whole bunch of stories here. Now, again, he's wearing a latex mask over fur. How no one notices is bizarre. He's been acting weird, but he uh, he basically says like, "Look, all those excuses I gave you recently were false. I've been hanging around with my friend Warren Worthington." And Buzz Baxter's like, "Fuck you, whatever." He says, "I was hanging out with my friend Warren, and we were arguing over a girl." And Buzz Baxter goes, "A girl." I can believe that of Adonis here, but you, McCoy, you're not in his league, which is amazing. You're fucking latex masky face <laughs> next to this like epitome of human perfection right here. Uh, him calling Angel Adonis makes me smile so hard. Any thoughts? It's so messed up. Like you so badly don't want to believe what I'm saying that you're willing to also call me ugly. <laughs> let, 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 can we address how much audacity this man had? That's okay, they, they got yeah. the point across, but Jesus, sir. Yeah. Not oh, not the fact you. that he said that I skipped work for a couple of days and that's why I wasn't out. He didn't go after that. He was like, how dare you say that you were actually going after a girl because you're hideous. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's the part you picked? How ugly do you think I am? So let's talk about this. Ugly how dude, bad like, is my latex ass? <laughs> Which is a mask of his own face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this this beast mask era. Oh god, it's so funny. Anyway, Patsy backs them up. She's like, I saw them at a restaurant. So he's telling the truth. So she's lying to cover for them with her husband. Uh he's like, Oh, I guess I have to believe you. And then he calls her Pat. So he's trying to make his like little sexy wife a little older, maybe. <laughs> Patsy <laughs> is much more uh suited for her. So he's off the hook with the uh, Buzz Baxter, uh, and that's kind of the end of Beast at the Brand Corporation. You'll see what we're talking about because the next issue he leaves and then the book is canceled. Uh, They sneak back out. They got to go find the Griffin somewhere. So they're going out to look. He's back in his Beast form, and Griffin flies out of the sky uh, attacks them savagely. Uh, he there is an aerial battle once again. There are claws flashing. They are uh, kind of throwing each other over over uh, like power lines and rooftops. It's kind of a fun aerial battle. I think this is kind of a challenge for an artist to draw at this time. I think using these characters in this way, Beast has to keep finding ways to get up into the air, swinging around like Daredevil style on like antennas. Where uh, there's some really interesting things, and the full armed guard is beneath them with guns ready to fire. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on this battle scene before we talk about the defeat of the Griffin? Um, I need to know where in New York they are because there are no outside power lines like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where are you? Is this Queens? Like, what's happening? Like, <laughs> um, I thought that this was fun again, but again, I, I think that like these really weird aerial battles that Beast keeps having where he's just falling and fighting at the same time. And like he finally makes <laughs> note of it. He's like, yeah, I actually have no wings. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and Angel, by the way, is just a completely ineffective fighter. He flies and punches. It's it's really he's just not in the same league here. <laughs> I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like Angel, sweetie, just go sit down. You're not you're not helping anybody this go around. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just, just wait. Cheer me on. Yeah, let's wait till you get the punch and fly. Punch and fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's okay, sweetie. It's okay. Sit this one out until you get the flatchet wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not your time, dog. It's okay. So Griffin flies up behind the beast, grabs him around the throat, and he says, uh, no one has ever escaped my griff when I've been set, and you're no exception. And then he's going to bite his neck, and that photo of his face and the beast ready to bite is like really a creepy vampire look and uh beast goes wrong griffin because i'm not no one i'm the beast and i've got exceptionally long arms as you may be noticing he turned around and gives uh gives griffin a full bear hug squishing his wings they go crashing to the ground and right before the griffin hits the ground which would have defeated him anyway the angel throws a quick shot punch and hits him in the jaw <laughs> <laughs> now, there, there's this, there's this punch right there. The that's timing alone, is like falling, like, and you're like, well. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Well, I never really liked the person who came in, in at the end of the group project to try and get some like extra bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you weren't here before, don't show up now. <laughs> oh goodness, goodness. Uh, so as the guards are closing in to arrest the Griffin, who we will talk about on my show one more time later this year at a Marvel team up issue. Uh, Beast goes back to his apartment. He gets changed back into his latex mask suit. And he says, uh, he, as he explains his, what's finally happened to him, he goes, Warren, has what I've told you made any sense? And Angel says, yeah, a lot, as a matter of fact. I'll relay it to the others. They'll be as glad as I am to know for sure what's happened to you. And if you want to be left alone like Greta Garbo, you've got it. Greta Garbo, uh, for those that know, is an iconic lesbian actress from the silent film era. And when they switched from silent films to talk films, uh, there was this big sensation in Hollywood at the time because all these actors that they had never heard speak were now speaking in movies. Charlie Chaplin, right? So there's a famous movie called The Grand Hotel, and I don't know if any of you have seen it, in which Greta Garbo speaks. She's got a very thick European accent, and she very sadly in one moment says, I just want to be alone. Be which yeah. after after a hundred years, people are still fucking talking about it. Like, if you want to be alone like Garbo, let me know. Uh, Angel handled this pretty well. What do you think? He's going to go back and they all know about the beast now. It was like an after-school special on TV. It was like, I believe this is right. Well, after my adventures and being punched around in the sky, I learned I wasn't exactly correct. Oh, everyone learned something. Yay. But I got my shot in there. Yeah, right? It was like, I matured today. <laughs> and, still, and still not asking the hard questions. Hank, why are you experimenting on yourself? Why are you trying to change your mutation? What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're like, Beast, Beast said it. It's fine. Like, I'm sure he's just, fine. You can't keep ignoring it. And, I, and we always talk about like, you know, I mean, I think I'm in a, a Facebook group of why we hate Beast. Um, and it's like, it's literally just these conversations of why he's such an asshole. Um, but again, you see very clearly here, I, I need, I, I think the conversation was fine. I just, I just need Beast to be more accountable. So Beast has a stack of uh, stolen life. Oh, Roger, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, no, no. I was just listening to you guys. Uh, Beast has a stack of stolen library books that it's now time to take back. And the, among the books are Makeup and Creating the Mask. And I think one, I don't know what that says, Mystique, something like that. Uh, he's also got molding latex and a creepy looking mask. Uh, he's going to go back and return them to the library. And as he is there, he <laughs> he goes, well, he picks up Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and goes, well, 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 a handbook on how to be schizoid. I better reread it. It'll mean a bit more to me now. How can this be happening? After all my frustrations and trying to reach him, he just walks in here, Vera Cantor thinks. Now, this is a really cute scene because if you go back to the Silver Age comics, Beast or Hank McCoy first met Vera Cantor in a library where she was working as a librarian. And they have a whole interchange about beasts. And it's a really cute moment that they end up meeting at the library. Also, Vera, who I love, is in this like pink mini dress with like a white belt. You don't see her up close, but she looks great. Uh, we're going to see more of them in the next issue in which they fight uh, Roger Pressa, the juggernaut, in his weirdest and worst appearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys have any concluding thoughts on uh, on this very delightful little trip to the Silver Age? We need to bring back their color palettes. Mm-hmm. All, every color needs to come back into style like, mm-hmm. immediately. That yellow dress that Jean had on, yes, give me, please, thank you. <laughs> um, even Beast, uh, I love the outfit he was wearing—the color block with the red tie and like the the, the blue the striped shirt. <laughs> yeah, like the, those. That was a very interesting look for him. I want to see a modern comic book where Beast uses his like latex mask and makeup skills to like complete a mission because we all forget <laughs> he's learned these skills. He's very good. Yeah, at let's, it, let's really. bring some good information back. Like, how could that help young mutants of tomorrow? You know? <laughs> in the in the next issue, uh, it opens with Beast's car breaking down. Beast and Vera get a ride from more four Marvel comic staffers. The car's driven by Steve Englehart, and they all climb in the car and go to Rutland, Vermont together. And Beast is in his fur latex mask in a crowded car and no one notices the like sweaty hairy man in the corner uh it's it's hilarious uh we're gonna record that episode next uh and that'll be the next episode of my show featuring the incredible writer ryan katie so everybody stay tuned for that next monday uh as we are wrapping up let me just thank each of you personally this was such a delightful time getting to know you hearing your stories and especially nerding out over this ridiculous comic book together i had a wonderful time where can people find each of you online and is there anything you'd like to plug recognizing we're going to put this out on january 29th uh let's go roger cree and then andre yeah you can find me on instagram under humming underscore h2 that's where a lot of my um Videos that I do suit ups on are you can locate and then on TikTok it's under the cosplay life Roger P. And then again, also you can see all the costumes that I have coming up and ones that I've done in the past. Uh, is there anything upcoming that we can be looking forward to? Yeah, so I had just finished doing Sabretooth, and so I was already asked to bring him to. Um, the uncanny experience. It's so it's cool. I can't up. wait. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be bringing him and probably Sentinel. Um, so you guys need more villains out there. So, Amazing. and then, um, yeah, and then trying to finish up Mr. Sinister behind me here. And then, um, another giant one that I, oh, I just finished was, uh, Mecha Godzilla, Kiryu. Mm. And, yes. and then, yeah, and then the next Marvel giant one I have is um, Dormammu. Ooh, 
That's so cool. Roger, I'm so excited to yeah. know you a little better, man. Uh, last October, we did a full Magneto month on my show. In April on my show, we're doing a full month we're calling the Sentinel Takeover. So we're going to have like lots of Sentinels content in April. It's going to be great. Sentinels. Uh, over, <laughs> over to Cree next. Uh, yes, um, you can find me on all social media at brown.sugar.outlaw. Um, I'm getting back into my regular con scheduling again, starting with um, Atlanta Comic Con in February. And I'm really excited because Dodderman posted that a, a adorable snowstorm outfit that I will be debuting at the con when I host the contest. Oh, this is the one where oh, she's like I sitting agree. in the clouds drinking coffee. It's oh, so yes. It's great. Oh, it's too <laughs> fabulous. It's it's unnecessarily fabulous. And I would it, it's it would hurt me to not do it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Are you going to the Uncanny Experience next year? Absolutely. They've already announced me as their storm. Yay! I'm so excited. I'll be there too. Uh and then Andre Yes. Um, so you can pretty much find me on all social media as uh, Talk Nerdy to Me. So that's uh, T-A-L-K-N-R-D-Y, the number two M-E. Um, nothing to really promote because I just exist in fandom just like anybody else. <laughs> but um, I will be making my first uh, con appearance in April for C2E2. Um, so I am debuting two new cosplays, which is really fun. Uh, and I'm taking Bishop with me because he hasn't made an appearance in Chicago yet. So that is pretty much what I'm looking forward to, but I'm building two new ones, um, that I'm really, really excited about. Um, and for the first time I, I got a dress form, so I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Now. Yeah, I was, listen, I was like using my dogs as like... <laughs> <laughs> as ways to measure things and i finally got a dress form and my like my entire life has changed so i'm gonna be doing so much now so that's that's really what's coming down the the, the, the queue for me what nice. a genuine joy to see you all thank you so much for coming on uh as far as personal announcements go i keep my own social media private because i've got kiddos but the three of you are welcome to add me just reach out if you like uh i am unexpectedly going to be at wondercon this year uh I, hey my, my son is on spring break and we're going to la because i want to show him a new city and wondercon's happening at the same time literally i'd already bought the trip and planned it and then i'm like oh wondercon's happening so i will likely see some of you at the hellfire gala walk which i'm very excited about about. Uh, I should be back at the Uncanny Experience as well. I already announced the next episode out on the Patreon channel immediately around this time is going to be a, an episode all about Kendra with the incredible writer Sarah Gailey. Uh, and uh, you should also be watching for The Trial of Madame Hydra coming out around the time of this episode as well. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Cree. Thank you, Andre. I had such a good Thank time. Today. Uh, we'll see you back here next time on Green Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Grand Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grand Malkin Lane.